Hey guys, you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. This is John Kerman, and you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. Hi, this is PJ Butler, and you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. This is Kyle, and you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. Hey, this is Jim. We're leaving a Legacy. Got a mouthful of meat. Um, oh, wait. That's not what I meant. Don't put that on there. Now we take you to the Red Room, where round one parents have been posted. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I am your legacy newbie. Uh, this week, we are, of course, we have we don't have Adrian, because he doesn't make it on anymore. Um, Jerry has also abandoned us this week. Uh, so I got our friend and a former guest on the cast, uh, Lawrence Harmon. What's going on, man? Not much. Just uh, <laughs> hanging out. You know? Just uh, kind of recovering from the weekend. Yeah, you had, uh, you had quite the weekend. You were out at uh, Eternal Weekend, right? Yeah, I'm pretty exhausted still, <laughs> which is kind of insane. Um, what was it? The vintage portion was something like nine rounds, and then the legacy portion was ten rounds. Um, so it's pretty tiring. Did you play both? You play both? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so uh, you played a lot of Magic, man. <laughs> yeah. I ended up dropping out of the vintage portion at mm-hmm. some point, but the legacy portion I ended up playing all the way through and just was dead on Sunday. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I, you know, my first GP that I played in was Columbus, and even playing nine rounds is exhausting. I can imagine going back the next day and playing an additional amount of rounds would be just uh, a little rough. A little rough. Oh, yeah. Like, playing GPs with no buys is a pretty horrendous experience. Um, <laughs> I've done it a couple times, and I always end up regretting it, but it's also, in a weird way, fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Well, that's good. So I guess we can talk about some of the Eternal Weekend results. So they had the Eternal Weekend um, Vintage Championship, and they also had the Eternal Weekend uh, Legacy Championship. Um, so we can talk about – if let's go into Vintage first since that ended up going off uh, before Legacy did. Um, was there anything in the top eight that kind of stuck out to you? It looked like s- sort of more the same? Uh, I don't know Vintage super well. Mm-hmm. Um I ended up playing Vintage kind of by happenstance. Um, my buddy, Ken, who I traveled to tournaments with, uh, decided to buy power. <laughs> just like, you know, one day he's just like, I'm going to finish, buy more power. And uh, he built Oath. Jeez. And um, <laughs> that's, I wish there was like more behind it. He decided <laughs> to buy power. I mean, that makes um, the story, right? That there's nothing behind it. He's just like, yeah, I'm just going to go and drop a couple grand on some power. Well, there is a funny story behind it. Uh, one day he was having some back pain and took his meds and was kind of like jacked up on his pain meds and ended up doing a bid on eBay. And he was like, the guy will never accept this, right? And the guy did. And he was like, well, looks like I own a Black Lotus. <laughs> so, um, yeah, from there he just kind of collected more and then started playing like an oath list and didn't like it and switched over to Kelly Oath. Uh, which uses all the Moxon. It's more of a control deck. It has Gush, uh, amongst other things. And um, <laughs> was it the Thursday of Eternal Weekend? He shot me a message in the morning. He's like, hey, I'm headed up to Columbus to vend some cards. You want to come with? And, of course, I, I woke up too late. 
and then he just randomly bought the last three moxen that he needed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so my ride basically ended up deciding to play Vintage, so I, like, hit up a bunch of people and tried to scrounge together, like, as much power as I could to play Vintage, and uh, ended up with, like, a pseudo-powered oath list, so Sick. that was fun. How did you enjoy playing uh, Vintage? It's a format I've never played, but I'm in- I'm always interested in looking into it. Sorry, I played Mentor. Um, okay. My list was okay. My testing was very uh, misleading. Uh, I thought Young Pyromancer was better than it was. Mm-hmm. And if it had been anything that said draw a card, um, I would have just rolled through so many people. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of just like that weird te- inbred testing dilemma there. Sure. Um, vintage was very interesting. Uh, variance is a bigger factor in that format than you'd think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, there are a lot of losses I got <clears throat> due to, uh, just, like, flood. Um, yeah. Like, I have a list of what I played against. Let me sure get up here. Yeah, I would imagine, like, if your opponent comes out to a start that's, like, all moxin and then a few real good business spells, and you just happen to have a hand that, like, if you're running a deck that just doesn't have as much moxin in it, um, it seems like they can get out ahead of you much more quickly than and maybe put you away before you can even catch up. Uh, to some degree, in a weird way, the Moxen weren't a bigger as big of a factor as just like not drawing a lot of cards. If that makes okay. sense. Sure. Um, like I started off the day by playing against Merfolk, and I had no idea how to board. Um, I like while my opponent went to sideboarding, I saw uh, a Lotus in his deck. So I wasn't sure if he was the Null Rod list or if mm-hmm. he randomly was running Aether Vials. So I kind of, like, boarded in this very weird way that hedged against both. And that ended up costing me. Uh, I also played against, like, Dredge, Green White Hate Bears, uh, Mono Blue Belcher, Ravager Shops, uh, Dredge again, and then, like, a World Gorger Dragon combo mm-hmm. deck. <clears throat> so it was pretty interesting. Um, I would definitely, like, play Vintage again Uh given the opportunity, but it's, uh, I don't know where I sit in terms of the format. It's very interesting, but it's not, I don't enjoy it as much as Legacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Legacy to me just seems like it has the, maybe the games can be, uh, I guess what's the most, the best way to put it? It seems to me like the power level of the top tier decks overall are much more in line, I think, in Legacy than they are in, in Vintage, but I, but again, that's just from what I see people playing it could be could be often i mean i don't have a lot of i have no experience in the format so it's difficult for me to speak with any kind of authority on it but just from what i've seen it seems like some decks are just like so much more powerful than other decks in the format and like also a lot of decks just start with like five pieces of power essentially you know like everyone's playing five moxen and so it kind of seems to restrict deck lists a little bit that way too right like the like you'll randomly hear people talk about how uh arbitrary card should be restricted in random format or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they don't really understand what that does to deck building as a whole. Uh, like, I'm kind of skimming over the deck list from uh, the Vintage Champs, and a lot of it is just one-ofs. And when you have, like, a deck where, like, you know, 10% of your deck is just mono one-ofs, you're going to have a lot of variants, and your draws sure. are going to be very awkward. So it makes deck building... In a weird way, more interesting, mm-hmm. but also a lot harder because you can't bank on uh, things being as consistent as you want. Mm-hmm. You know, like in Legacy, you can play four Ponder uh, and four Brainstorming. You can always just like, in a weird way, find the cards that you want. Uh, whereas in Vintage, it's more 
you're relying more on just like raw card draw, like gush, or uh, you also preordain as kind of the the staple cantrip of the format. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, you're kind of just going from there. Yeah. And I know there was a bit of a hubbub in the in the finals. I, I didn't get a chance to watch the finals, but I heard some people were a little upset with some. Well, I guess this was the legacy finals, right? With some sloppy play in the, play in the legacy finals, but um, we can. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to touch on that at all. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I did have some some thoughts on that. Um, I haven't really watched any of the coverage. The only kind of uh, problems that I heard were people weren't happy with the individual who won the Legacy Champs. This is generally hearsay. Uh, I'm, I can't say anything for certain. Uh, but my understanding is that the individual who won... Uh, had like a very warped foil soul ring, okay. strip mine, and crucible of worlds. And there were points where, uh, I think there's even a Reddit thread that I saw earlier today where, um, somebody marked out like on coverage all of the sketch plays he made. Okay. Um, and people were very convinced that he was using marked cards to cheat. Um, which isn't a very, which isn't a light allegation in any regard. Yeah, I mean that's pretty serious. Uh-huh. So, you know the way the internet gets though when they're they're how fast their pitchforks come out. So, um, I could not speak to any authority with that either because I didn't see it, but I just heard some grumblings about that being a little bit shady. Like, like I I wasn't actually watching. Uh, all I know is like uh, various members of the vintage community who are very respected uh, were not happy with this individual winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe um, the Vintage Magic scene or something, uh, he was wearing a shirt that said Vintage Magic, which is a website that I believe is associated with the individual who is um, who, who has been banned for cheating mm-hmm. in the past. Um, so that's just kind of my cursory understanding of the matter. Yeah, I heard something about like insufficient deck ran- randomization, something like that. Yeah, like, basically just warped cards, and um, <clears throat> there's an individual, Joe Brennan, who won um, the external av- Eternal Extravaganza 5 mm-hmm. um, with Blue Light Red Mentor. Uh, he lost to this guy, and, you know, there was, like, a judge call in the middle of their match, and the guy was told to take, to swap out his, you know, super warped foils after the match, and Brennan ended up losing to the you know very warped strip mine kind of deal so it was like a weird situation of i don't know if this guy's cheating but there's a lot of evidence that leads to him having cheated uh there the crew that he hangs out with or associates with uh is known for cheating so it's hard to really give him the benefit of the doubt in that regard Mm -hmm. um but again i don't know too much yeah yeah, it's kind of like the the people you associate with can kind of have a little bit of an overshadowing on your reputation when you know when you have like some things that look sort of funny, and then you look at the bigger picture, and this person hangs out with people who have done who are known to have done some shady things. It doesn't reflect good on you, kind of exactly. Deal. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's. So that's vintage. Um. Do you want to talk about your uh weekend or your day with um with miracles playing in the uh, legacy portion of Eternal Weekend? Yeah. Um. So I can just like quickly run through what I played against. Yeah, yeah, and any, anything interesting that came up, I'm, we're always good to hear good, either you know, beat stories or bad beat stories, whatever the case is. <laughs> uh, well, I played Legacy for champs, and then I played one of the random 
like challenges, which were basically like four round F and M's that pay out by record. Mm-hmm. Um, so for champs, I played against the, my overall record was eight two, uh, which got me to thirteenth place, I believe, uh, somewhere in there, somewhere in the top sixteen range. Um, I played against Eldrazi and won that one. Uh, I played against Belcher, which um, game one, my opening hand was double Swords to Plowshares, Monastery Mentor, double Force of Will, and Lands. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at my hand and was like, well, <clears throat> this isn't bad enough to mulligan, and it's kind of good against like everything in the format in some way or shape or form. So I kept it, and my opponent was on Belcher, and that was an easy match. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, then I played against Mud. Uh, after that, I played against Death and Taxes. Um, I think I misplayed game one, which cost me the win. And then game two, uh, I never hit my fourth land drop to uh, cast a Kozlek's return to just kind of blow him out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um then the next round, I played against Ruglands, which is a much harder matchup than uh, Red Green Lands because they run um, usually more copies of Ghost Quarter um, and engineered explosives. So they can break up the counterbalance lock a lot easier than they normally would be able to, or than a normal lands list would be able to. And I punted game three, um, which led to me losing that one. And then from there, I was 3 2. And had to five o two top sixteen, um, but I was able to do it somehow. Uh, I was able to two one bug delver, two one painter, uh, red white painter, mm. uh, two o lands, two o death and taxes, and that match was pretty interesting. Um, our game one took about fifty minutes. Wow. Um, and I was playing at. We were both playing at an absurd pace. There was just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the game, I cast five Swords to Plowshares and six Terminus. <laughs> uh, two of the Terminus were hardcast, and two of them were Snapcaster hardcast. <laughs> so um, it was a pretty insane game. Uh, and then my last round, I played against Grixis Delver. Uh, and that matchup is generally good. Mm-hmm. Um, the next day, my buddy and I got there, and we decided to play one of the Legacy Challenges, and uh, I played against Eldrazi, Grixis Delver, and Counter Slivers, which was really sweet. Oh, nice. Uh, so it's always nice to see like the random decks that you don't actually play against that often pop up now and then. Um, it just kind of shows the, you know, the diversity in the format and uh, just kind of what you can do. Just kind of like the fact that Legacy is a format where you can kind of just pick a strategy that you like and play it, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Whereas, like, other formats are, there's more of, like, a clearly defined best deck. And you should probably be playing that. And if you're not playing that, you're probably wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas Legacy, it's like, I want to play Counter Slivers. I'm going to do it, and it's going to be <laughs> sweet. Right? Like, so that was a fun experience. Nice. And so you ended up going 8-2, and you finished, what was, what did you finish in? Uh, 13th, I believe. 13th. So another solid finish with the deck, I mean... You're obviously very consistent with your Miracles deck. Um, would you change anything to your list? Is this the same list you ran um, the previous time we talked to you? At, what was it, Eternal Extravaganza you ran the last time? Uh, it was a SCG Classic. Oh, that's um, what, that's right. That's right. The only changes I made are 
I cut the base of the mountain from the main board and put it in the sideboard uh, and put a tundra in its place, and that makes the mana base just way more stable game one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and post board allows me to board up to 21 lands, uh, which is better when I'm on the like one of Entreat the Angels plan. Um, <clears throat> what else was there? Uh, I added a copy of From the Ashes to my sideboard, mm-hmm. which is Ruination, but each player gets to search up a basic land for each non-basic land destroyed. So against, like, the Mud player, uh, I fetched a four basics, or four non-basics, cast from the ashes, and basically got to use eight mana in one turn <laughs> uh, while, like, doing a one-sided Armageddon. So it was pretty sweet. Um, in regards to the Sunday portion, I actually switched lists uh, to Sam Rukas's list from the Eternal Extravaganza. Um, mostly because I just felt like playing with two Intrigue Angels. Uh, it's kind of what I started on with the deck, and I just kind of missed it in a way. Um, and it was a lot of fun. The deck feels great against anything that's trying to attack you with creatures. The deck has, like, a main deck, Engineered Explosives, and Council's Judgment. So, like, against the Counter Slivers guy, uh, game one, he multi five and then plays a turn two Sylvan Library. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to lose. Because, <laughs> like, Sylvan Library is, like, the worst card to face. Uh, usually people are just like, all right, Sylvan Library, take eight, take eight. Right, because they, right, they can draw me. the cards. That they're, they're, you're not going to put any pressure on them right away, so. Right, they they can just fearlessly draw the cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I found the one of in, uh, Engineered Explosives and just, like, played it on two blew up his Sylvan Library and two of the Sliver Lords, and then, like, the game was just kind of <laughs> over at that point. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and I think I'm going to play that list going forward. Um, really? Yeah, it's a nice change of pace. Uh, Entreat the Angels is an, is an absurd card. Um, the list is better against anything creature-based or that's using Lily out of the Veil. Um, there's kind of this awkward moment where you're playing Monastery Mentor and Lily grinds you down a bit. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, all right, I have to play Mentor into Lily and then play a couple token, play something to create a token or two and hope my opponent doesn't just, like, decay my token if I only have one and then neg Lily. Mm-hmm. And then your win con is kind of shut off there. Uh, whereas in Treat the Angels, you can just let your opponent uptick Lily a bunch, not care. Uh, if they go to Alter, you can just float all your mana in response. Yep. Keep yep. whatever pile has top uh, and then... Cast and treat the angels for however many dudes and just kill them. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was nice. a pretty uh, fun weekend. It was very interesting playing against uh, a bevy of decks. Yeah, um, it, sound, it sounds like you played a lot of rounds of magic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there was something like 16 between the first two days or something, and then an does extra your, three rounds. Does your brain just feel like mush on the way home from that? Uh. So I don't think as much as you'd think I would Mm -hmm. uh, when playing Miracles. It's kind of like an autopilot type of thing. I've played the deck a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, if I'm in a matchup, I just kind of, like, go off of muscle memory. Sure. But it is still very exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even just, like, the long day of sitting in one spot, like, not being able to go to the bathroom when you want to, not being able to eat when you want to, it definitely must take its toll. Yeah, it definitely does. Um it is very much a grind. Uh, I did have like snacks with me and all of that, but it mm-hmm. it was just like barely enough to keep me 
from like really crashing at any point. Yeah. And, and uh, I think at some point, so my opponents started to feel the fatigue of the day kind of set in, but I've kind of gotten used to just like um, not doing anything in between rounds and just, you know, a running joke with me and my friends is like, uh, real men don't go to the bathroom in between rounds <laughs> or something like that. Well, you got to so, have like the camel back and you put it in with the camel back and take it out with the camel back, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, you just gotta get the catheter action going when you go to a, a legacy tournament. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that so, was pretty. So, looking at the top eight deck lists, when you talked about um, facing some different decks, these are certainly some decks in here that we haven't seen in the top eight in a while. Um, so, this is top eight uh, after Swiss. I didn't get the top eight um, as far as who won, but I think I was it was it Death and Tax that took it down or Miracles that took the took it down. I can't remember. The I whole believe tournament. it was Hex Depths. Oh, was it Hex Depths? All right, yeah, well, so, so playing spoiler there, well, we'll go through the top eight. Um, Eldrazi came, was in first uh, after the Swiss. Um, it wasn't your typical Eldrazi list, though. It was more like a Jeskai Eldrazi list, um, running like Displacers and uh, Eldrazi Obligators, which is kind of like uh, control magic on a stick, almost, um, which is sort of neat. Uh, so there was also a death and taxes list, miracles, uh, then additional two death and taxes lists. Um, and I don't know if you got a chance to check out, uh, like the, you know, as far as like some of the new cards that have been coming in here. So obviously like they're running four Thalia, Garden of Thra- Guardian of Thraben. Um, but one of the lists is running two Recruiter of the Guard. So that's, um, obviously making its way into the deck lists. Um, the yeah, other, I'm- let me see the other, uh. Um, this one was running, the second list was running two Heretic Cathar and three Recruiter of the Guard. And yeah, uh, David Bauman, the guy who was running two Recruiter of the Guard is the, one of the Death and Taxes players I played in the Swiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and, and same, uh, same, David is also running two, uh, Sanctum Prelate, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So uh, definitely some new cards making their ways into the, uh, into the de- Death and Taxes lists and kind of giving like the three lists here, you know, like, El- Legacy is one of those formats where, like, if you've seen one deck list, you've seen them all. But here we have three deck lists in the top eight with, you know, three different configurations of those three new cards that everyone thought would make it into Death and Taxes. So that's kind of interesting. It'll be interesting to see if they settle on, like, the quote-unquote correct number for each. But um, yeah. it certainly makes them a little bit more a little bit more uh, diverse as a deck itself, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I know a lot of Death and Taxes players, and there's kind of been this debate of, like, do we run Recruiter? Do we not? How many Sanctum Prelates do we run? Like, I know guys who run two in the main. I know guys who run one in the main. I know guys who run just three and no Recruiter. Um, and their, guard, their idea is just, like, to curve out. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, one of my buddies, he only runs two Swords to Plowshares in the main and then two Dismember uh, to play around his own Recruiter mm-hmm. uh, and go from there. Um other interesting things on top eight is like Jarvis U was playing the uh, kind of Ben Friedman four color Delver deck. Yep. Uh, yep. With a couple of changes, um, which you know it's always cool to see Jarvis do well at tournaments. He's a really great guy. Yeah, for um, sure. Um, and then and the other two decks rounding out the top eight were Black Red Reanimator, which has made kind of a splash online, and Hex Steps. Which is a deck that has haunted me online and, and is the reason why I changed up the deck I ran in the last community legacy league. So pretty cool to see like some some newer decks in the top eight. That's pretty great to see. Yeah, uh Curtis Frazier. So funny story about Curtis. He's a he's a guy who's local to my area actually. Uh so I know him somewhat well. Um and 
he showed up Saturday and just registered, even though you weren't supposed to be able to do that. He just like showed up and registered, <laughs> didn't know what was happening until the day before, uh, and just goes undefeated in the Swiss. Wow. Yeah, I, I um, saw on Reddit he like only dropped like a handful of games, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, just crazy. Yeah, he he used to be like known as the Pox guy. He used to have a copy of uh, Pox that was just fully beta, <laughs> and he eventually sold it. And uh, I asked him why. And the reason was, he said, people told me I wouldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) So he just, like, sold it for, like, 10-plus grand or something like that. Um, And then the individual who won with uh, Hexsteps, I believe, is a part of Team Tusk, Mm -hmm. the guys in Atlanta. Uh, So that's cool. Oren Kremen, looks like. Yeah. Nice. So it's cool to see those guys do well. Uh, yeah. And Les seems very tuned to, like, what that deck wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the main deck Pithing Needles are stand out as, you know, not a very intuitive choice, but something that makes a lot of sense if you're, uh, you know, keyed into, like, all of the hate that people are going to be playing against you game yep. one. Yeah. Potential hate, naming Wasteland, uh Ghost Quarter or, you know, things like Sensei's Divine Top, Deathrite Shaman, what have you. Um, so yeah, the list looks sweet. Yeah, pretty cool. I, I, I just, I love when you see a top eight in Legacy that has one or two decks that are not out of the blue because both the, like, Black Red and, you know, Hexaps are both known quantities in the format. But it's always cool to see them come, come up in the top eight somewhere. And in the Legacy Championship, I mean, after going through, what, 10 rounds of Swiss or whatever, Obviously, they're fighting their way to the top, so there's something to be said for each of those decks, which is also pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. I was honestly very surprised to see um, three Death and Taxes decks make top eight. Really? Uh, I, I thought I think that deck has gotten very good with some of the cards that it's gotten added to it. I think the deck is very good, mm-hmm. uh, but the field was very saturated with matchups that I don't think Death and Taxes really wants to play against. Mm-hmm. Um, but these... Three guys are able to just kind of slog through and get there. So yeah. kudos to them. I mean, I'm, I, I always imagine that death and taxes games go long too. It seems to be one of those like decks that is there to draw the game out for a while. So I, <laughs> I'm sure they had long days playing Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to kind of talk about with Eternal Weekend? Um, about the top oh. eight or anything like that? Uh, not too much. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting playing a tournament uh, with very punishing margins. Um, like I was eight two and I got top sixteen, but there were eight twos down to something like thirty or fortieth place, something wow. absurd like that. Uh, I know Rich Shea got seven two for vintage and got top sixteen, but there were like X one ones who didn't top eight. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty brutal in terms of like the pressure that it put on you as a player to do well to actually place. Um either where you want it to be or within, like, a kind of reasonable margin of where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, all right, well, so moving along, um, I did want to touch on, um, kind of recap the Community Legacy League this week. So the Community Legacy League is the one that's run by um, one of our listeners, Danny Cahall. Um, he runs it on Magic Online every Wednesday, 8.30 Eastern. It's free to enter, and Card Hoarder does a good job, a pretty great thing of um, – Giving uh like I think they give 25 bot credits to the league every week, so they let us uh basically it's like 25 ticks, good for buying from their card hoarder bot, and that gets split up between the top four, and then they, he uses one as a door prize. So it's pretty awesome to like 
play four round Swiss, um, get get you know get some bot credits, and you know have something to do on a Wednesday night that doesn't cost you a single cent. Um, so this week I, so the past the past few weeks I've been playing um, the Colorless Eldrazi list and have had d- fairly decent success with it. I I four, uh, three one to one week one week came in second, and then the next week I went. Uh, one, two, and just kind of like, just ran into some matchups where I just wasn't favored. Um, actually, I think Lawrence saw the week I went one, two, and I like played against, I think it was like Hex, Hex Steps one round, and just, just like played against a couple combo decks and just kind of got smashed out of those games. Eldrazi is not a deck that is going to do well against, um, a deck that's coming on that axis. So, sort of in jest and also, uh, to see if I could actually do something with the deck. I uh told uh I told everyone in the league that I was gonna play a blue red delver with four vapor snags and <laughs> and so I made good on my promise. I did run two vapor snag in the main and two in the side. Um, I can just run that out down the deck list real quick because it's a little different than some uh some delver lists out there. Uh, so I was running obviously four delvers, four swift spears, four storm chase for the mages, and then two bedlam revelers, which is actually a really sweet card. I never got a chance to cast it. Um, I had to side it out in a few games where I knew I wasn't going to get the chance to cast it anyway. Um, but that's the 3-4 for 6 red-red, and it costs one less to cast for each instant and sorcery in your graveyard, and has prowess. And when you when you, when you you play it, or sorry, when it enters the battlefield, you discard your hand and draw three cards. So it's just got like a lot of like relevant text on there that I think makes it good in the deck. Um, I would probably know better with more playtesting, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't regret putting in the, in, in as a two of, um, then I'm just on like, you know, four brainstorm, four days, four force, four probe, four bolt, four ponder. So like typical, like blue red spells. Um, I took out a chain lightning and went with two chain lightnings, um, two price of progress and two vapor snag in the main. And then just the typical, like 16 lands, um, and then in the sideboard, I had an additional two Vapor Snag. And the Vapor Snag, like, were sick in, like, every game that I played. They were very clutch. I killed more than one person. I, I was able to get lethal by bouncing a creature and then, like, Price of Progressing or having a Burn Spell in more than one game or just, like, attacking. Um, because I always forget the Vapor Snag does a damage to the creature's controller. <laughs> so that's always relevant in that deck. Um, I ended up playing Elves uh, in the first round and, and won 2-0. Um, I two owed against uh, a list called Murky Water, and this was like kind of like a blue black control deck. It was kind of neat, oh. running like Dragon Lord Salumgar and uh, Hypnotic Specter and Mole Drifter and uh, Salumgar the Drifting Death, and a that bunch of like sounds different. Interesting. Yeah, it was pretty cool. A bunch of counter spells and a bunch of one ofs. Like, oh, let's see, remove soul, uh, propaganda, um, into the royal, innocent blood, go for the throat, factor fiction. Doomblade, Disfigured, Diabolic Edict. So a bunch of like, it's kind of a neat deck. Um, I had never played it before, but, um, sort of cool. Um, and then I also played against, uh, uh, a Grixis Tesserator list, which I 2 owed. And then in the finals, I played against Black Red Reanimator. And if you haven't watched it, it was a pretty entertaining match. Um, I, I think I won game one, lost game two, and then won game three, like by the skin of my teeth. And I like top deck to vapor snag for the win. It was it was pretty sweet. So <laughs> if if you guys haven't got a chance to watch that, I think you can still see it on the Twitch channel. But so I ended up going four uh, zero in the league, and it was super super fun. Um, I always appreciate Danny for running that. I really have a blast doing that every week, and uh, I stream it. So if you guys ever want to check it out, um, I stream uh, Twitch.tv/slash/betuglo. Um, you can usually find Lawrence in the chat <laughs> ragging <laughs> on me a little bit, giving me some good tips. So. 
Um, it's it's been really fun. Um, I really like to have the listeners and just like random people come in and, and check it out and and offer insight or just kind of like shoot the shit. So that's been a lot of fun to do. So you're playing um, kind of like a derivative of Olorade's list uh, that he's done well with online. Yeah, very much so. So like, and I think the only thing I really did was I I. I wanted to fit two vapor sag in the main. I think sometimes he runs one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, because it's just it's just nice to have a one of like in the chance that you're playing against like a hex steps deck and you don't have a force of will in hand or can't afford to like pitch a card to force of will. Like vapor snag does a pretty good job of of bouncing merit lage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know he's been prone to run like a one of. Um... Fire Blast, just yeah. trying to get people dead. Yeah, that was the other card. Snag. Yeah, that was the other card that I cut out of this deck was Fire Blast. Um, I think I had, I don't even, I don't, no, I didn't move it to the sideboard. Um, but I, I have run that in the past like as a one of because you're right, that is definitely like just like a late game like I win card sometimes. So it's that's pretty sweet too. Right, but I imagine you cut that for the um. Vapor Snag, just kind of trading, like, a raw power for a more utility kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I wouldn't run this list in, like, an, an unknown meta. I just knew that, like, there's some combo decks in this meta that I was going to need the Vapor Snag for. So it was certainly a hedge against that. Like, this deck would be very bad against anything, like, <laughs> like Miracles. So if I was going to any of my local tournaments, I wouldn't play this this uh, this version of it. But um, in, the in like, the league, it was definitely a metagame call, and it seemed to be... It seemed to function pretty well. Like I didn't have too many issues winning games with it, so it was it was fun to play for sure. Um, okay. But after playing that, I uh, after playing Black Red Reanimator in the finals, I actually started building it online, and I think I'm like only a handful of cards short of putting it together because that deck looks super fun. It's like it's kind of like the blue black Reanimator, but just a lot faster. Um, yeah. And like not really. It's kind of like. Um, What's the best way to put it? It's like a fearless deck, you know? Like, they're not really worried about... Like, all right, if I'm playing against Miracles, like, sure, Counterspell, like, my Entomb, I'm just going to draw something else in time to in time to win. Like, I'm not going to water down my deck to protect my combo. I'm just going to keep jamming combo pieces and, like, can you keep up kind of deal. Right. It's very much just, like, it trades in... <clears throat> excuse me. It trades in the ability to kind of interact with, with its opponent via, like, Daze and Force Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, partially with like unmask and thoughtsies, but it also just has like an absurd amount of redundancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like you'll play games against that deck. Like uh, I actually played against that deck at GP Columbus, and game two the guy was able to go off through like flusterstorm, uh, <laughs> a blind counterbalance, flipping three times. Oh my god! And a containment priest just by like decaying the containment priest and just like casting a bunch of spells into the counterbalance. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the deck is just super redundant and super powerful. Um, and you know, if somebody's trying to get into legacy on the cheap, it's a very good option. Yeah, it was, it's a, it's pretty cool, man. Um, I'm curious cause I, the, the, the list that I was copying isn't running the unmask. Um, but I wanted to sort of check out, um, what that does. So it's three and a black for a sorcery, you may remove a black card in your hand from the game instead of paying the mana cost. Look at target player's hand and choose a non-land card from it. That player discards a card. Oh, discards that card. That's kind of interesting. So it's sort of like a like a duress, but you can get it for free, but and you can use it on yourself as well. Is that the idea? Right. It's basically like a it's like a force will esque uh, discard effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the guy who won the European Eternal Weekend didn't run it. Uh, I know Curtis ran it, yeah. but. Um, 
knowing Curtis, he probably hasn't updated his list in like <laughs> half a year. Yeah. Um, oh no, he has. He added a two collective brutalities. Yeah, those uh, are sweet. I'm actually the list on the list that I'm going off actually is the same one that um that our friend uh was running in the in the league. Uh, now I can't remember his name. Brad, I believe it was. Else, I know his his screen name is El Spidero. Um, he's not running that. He's running like the I think it's like two in the main and then one in the side. Of collective brutality, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, I think collective brutality adds a sick dimension to that deck. Um, it does. It does. It gives it a nice like discard outlet that also disrupts its opponent and can kill Deathrite Shaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, the Black Red Reanimator deck has had a lot of problems with like a turn one Deathrite Shaman on the play. Its options were just like go off on turn one or play a Stronghold's Gambit, but Stronghold's Gambit was very sketch because if your opponent puts in basically any card. Um, you just lose mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so it just kind of allows it to give it... It gives the deck like a lot of utility that didn't have the room for before. Um, like, before it only had the room for like discard outlets or entomb effects and reanimation effects, but now it has the room for... like a, and Now it has a functional kill spell, uh, discard effect, and a way to bend creatures... It, and in a weird way, the life gain is very relevant with Grizzlebrand. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the two life puts you into like going from like six to eight life or seven to nine life. Yep. And you're able to activate your Grizzlebrand and get value out of that, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like the the reason you're running Grizzlebrand, right? Is that just incredible card draw? I also that's part of the reason why I wanted to play. It's just like drawing seven cards seems like so much fun. <laughs> oh yeah um yog bargain attached to a body is kind of busted right yeah like a seven seven flyer it's pretty sweet and like i uh i definitely realized once i started playing the blue red delver list again because i haven't played it really in like six months how much i missed just being able to cantrip into answers it was like it was so sweet and just being able to brainstorm and ponder again and having counter spells like i really missed playing blue red delver so if it becomes like a viable strategy again, I'll definitely play it a little bit more online. Uh, I think Blue Red Delver is very viable. It may not be as viable within your league if you're yeah. playing against a lot of combo decks. Mm-hmm. Or, as you said, you may have to play like a bunch of um, Vapor Snag style effects yeah. to kind of plow through these like weird reanimator strategies. But I think the deck is very good. Um, I think. If you sleeve it up, you probably want to sleeve up price, like for a play set of Price of Progress. Definitely, yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of my buddies only sleeved up two, and I was giving him shit for it all weekend. <laughs> just like, <clears throat> you know, there was a period where he was like, I'm going to run Blood Moon. And I was like, no, you just run Price of Progress. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, exactly. That's how you punish greedy mana bases. You, just, <laughs> you, you don't just lock do them out, you kill them game. dead. <laughs> exactly. You know, who shot you? Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, at GP Columbus, I ran a place at a price of progress in the main, and like there was only one or two games where I was like, ah, it's not that great, but pretty much every time I drew the card, I was like, yes, more more damage. Um, I, I think for this league, I played two in the main and one on the side, um, but for sure, the argument is definitely there that makes a lot of sense to run at least three in the main, if not four, because it's just, right now, it's such a powerful card, especially with um, decks like... Um, Eldrazi running around, even like death and taxes, and sometimes you can get them with miracles and they don't see it coming. Um, if they're not fetching out a lot of their basics, um, it is it is pretty good. So, 
Oh, uh, yeah. There are, like, multiple draws with miracles where I have the draw where it's, like, volcanic island into tundra into another tundra. Mm-hmm. And I can't play around wasteland or price. Um, and somebody just, like, is able to get that free six damage in, and that's enough. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there, there have definitely been times where, like, I've been playing against, like, a Grixis deck, and they will just, they will have to, like, play their fetch, like, like fetch and take the damage and then fail to find because they can't afford to take the two. So they'll take the one and just cut themselves off mana sometimes. Um, right. Which is, I mean, it's, that's kind of corner case, but it definitely does happen. Yeah, I think Price of Progress may be at an all-time high p- for power level, at least as far, at least since I've been playing. It seems like it's very good right now. Oh, yeah. The card's, like, pretty absurd. Yeah, it is. And what it does. Um, like, any card that gets your opponent to, like, Fetch, fail to find, and wasteland themselves. Yeah. Turn. Oh yeah, it's, like, it's it's pretty absurd. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's a pretty fun, uh, pretty fun way to play. Um, all right, so moving on, we can get into the uh, probably what is going to be the marquee discussion tonight, which is the um, the SCG announcement that came out. Uh, it's actually today, so for anyone listening, it will be last week uh, that it came out, last Monday or Tuesday, whatever. Um, so SCG kind of came out and said. They didn't. They didn't specifically address legacy, right? They just sort of said, "Hey, here's our tournament structure for next year." Um, they mentioned, um, you know, kind of like they're. It looks like they're cutting either cutting back on the players' championship, or it's becoming less of a thing for SCG. Which in the past, that's not been the case. It's sort of been what some Magic players make their livelihood on, right? Like chasing the SCG SCG title. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. The the TLDR on it is. They're cutting back on invitationals, so there's only going to be two a year, and they're going to be in Roanoke specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be less opens, and of those opens, there's going to be only one legacy. Correct. And then there's going to be one team constructed. Uh, on top of that, uh, the system for the classics has changed. It's no longer a matter of <clears throat> if it's a standard open, there's the classics are going to be modern and legacy. If it's a modern open... The classics are going to be standard and legacy, or if it's a standard classic, it's going to be modern and right. standard. So, so they would run classics that were not the main format of the open, essentially. Right. And now it's if it's a modern open, the classic is going to be modern and standard, I believe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there's only going to be like, like one legacy classic a year. Right. Um, which is at the which is so there's one like there's well there'll be two legacy classics, right? There'll be the one that's in Baltimore on the 18th and 19th, because that's team constructed, where they'll have um, a standard player, a modern player, or a standard deck, modern deck, legacy deck, in a team constructed format, and that will have the open that or that will have the classic on Sunday that will be legacy, I believe, and then I think that's right, and then uh, is, on the legacy open there will also be a legacy classic, if I'm not mistaken. Is that how that's working? I didn't actually look. Yeah. So yep. Yep. That's, play out. Yeah, that's I the imagine. way it works. Um, I just double-checked, and yeah, Legacy Open will have a 9.30 Legacy on Sunday, and then the Team Constructed, team constructed Open excuse me, will have a 10 a.m. Sunday Legacy uh, Classic. So they're doing cross-format Team Constructed as opposed to, like, Team Unified Modern or Standard? Co- correct, yeah, which is actually kind of cool. That might be something I'd be cool. interested in, in playing, but I just I only play Legacy, and I don't know if I have any friends who'd want to travel to Baltimore to play Modern or Standard. But um, right, I've always like, heard that team formats are, like, the best formats to play in. They just seem like a lot of fun, so maybe it'd be fun to play. I've heard the same. I just don't know a lot of guys who actively play standard. Right. And modern is just in a horrible place right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So it's like very hard to want to play that format when yeah. like every deck is killing you on turn three and Wizards just refuses to like properly manage the format as a whole. Right, because and, it's no longer a Pro Tour format, right? So they have no incentive to be aggressive with the banning or anything like that, really keep up with it. You can still uh, qualify for the Pro Tour via modern. Um, oh, yeah, but no, I'm sorry. What I mean is that like there is not a modern Pro Tour. That's what I meant. Right. Yeah. And like arguably the modern Pro Tour was bad for the format. Oh, for uh, sure. For sure. Which, you know, I agree with. Um, but I don't know. Uh, if it is like a tri-format thing, that could be really cool for coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that breaks down. Uh, but one of my buddies did post like a TLDR of it. And he said, uh, there's no more players championship. There's only two invitationals and there's, they're both in Roanoke. Uh, there's less opens. IQ's awarded SCG points again, which, uh, kind of anecdotally, I don't understand how that matters if there's no players championship. Right. Um, for those who don't know, the issue before with IQ's awarding SCG points is that, uh, there's a lot of East Coast grinders <clears throat> who were in like New York and, uh, they had like four IQs a week. So they'd show up to like their, you know, their LGS and there'd be like a nine man IQ. So they could easily just grind out absurd amount of SCG points. Mm-hmm. So the SCG leaderboard could be like, um, you know, like a couple of guys who actually were spiking SCG tournaments and a couple of guys who just didn't have to leave New York ever. <laughs> just um, showed up to a bunch of tournaments. <laughs> Right. So, like, they were trying to market the Players' Championship as a matter of, hey, these are the guys who are doing the best consistently on the SCG tour, but it was really, hey, here are these guys who are just, like, doing really well at IQs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so be you know, be kind of beyond the, the whole, like, the points of value system, which to me is always, like, irrelevant because I was never chasing to get into any kind of SCG, like, style invitational tournament um certainly like it's not it's not i don't want to call it upsetting it's just disappointing to see even few even less legacy um support from scg it certainly seemed like the last time they did a major announcement they were calling back a few of the opens um and now the open you know the like the classics are basically going away at this point like there'll be two from december to june which is like six months out of the year um, which yeah. is sort of a bummer. Um, and I'm curious to, to kind of hear what you think that impact will have on the the legacy scene. So in regards to this, um, I know a guy who works for Star City, and he's asked. I asked him if I could like name drop him. He asked to not be mentioned. Sure. Uh, but um, Star City was losing money on the legacy classics, mm-hmm. which isn't surprising because the general response from the legacy community when they mentioned that they were going to be switching from like the one K's or two K's or whatever they were before to classics, uh, was pretty negative. A lot of people were just like, yeah, I'm just not going to show up to these tournaments anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not giving you my money. Well, and the problem, so what is, we're not talking about right now is the move from one K's and two K's of actual prize money to going to like tickets as prizes, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, and like, like prize wall tickets. Like realistically, the prize wall tickets you so like the prize wall tickets you can cash in for SCG credit. Mm-hmm. So like every classic I've cashed, uh, I've just gotten credit. Like mm-hmm. uh, I I've just gotten dual lands from them basically. So in terms of actually cashing them, the EV was pretty reasonable, and um, 
if you just wanted to do if you were willing to go through the extra step of selling picking up cards selling them yourself it wasn't that big of a deal um or if you just had cards that you wanted it wasn't that big of a deal uh but there was kind of that negative response from the legacy community and as a result the legacy classics uh were always fewer rounds than the modern or standard classics there were less people buying into them uh so as you know subsequently the legacy classics weren't as profitable mm -hmm. and people tend to forget that scg is a business as much as they do for magic you know their bottom their goal is to make a profit they and, have to stay open as a and company sh and should be right like they have employees they have people who make their livings off you know who feed their families with the money they get from scg and like as a company it is it is in their best interest and the best interest of their in best interest of their employees to be as profitable as possible right like it's not like some kind of a vendetta they have against the format if the format made them money you can bet your ass they'd be supporting the format right 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 and in regards to what this means for the legacy community, um, players just need to start organizing tournaments of their own. Like mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, there was the Team Serious Open. The Team Serious, uh, if people don't know, there are a couple group of guys who um, kind of do their own tournaments. I think they're based in Michigan or Cleveland or something of that regard. Um, they do a podcast called uh, Serious Vintage mm -hmm. on Eternal Magic, I believe. Uh, I may have had gotten the name wrong. I haven't listened to the cast in a while, but they occasionally do these tournaments that are um, like split format, vintage legacy, full proxy. It's a cash buy-in and a cash payout. It's unsanctioned, so you won't get Planeswalker points, but you still get to play these cool formats, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I went to a Team Serious Open, and it also happened to be game day. So like one of my buddies won game day and got a bunch of packs of Kaladesh, and I left with $80, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where Legacy is headed. And that's always been where Legacy is headed. Or that's where Legacy has been heading for the last year or so. Uh, it's going to lean more on community-driven tournaments to keep the format going. It's going to be a lot like Vintage in that regard. Um, if you want to do Legacy, you know, convince your store to host you know the proxy tournaments um i've heard of stores doing tournaments where players can use proxies but if you win credit the stipulation is that you have to use the credit to buy the cards that you're proxying mm -hmm. which is i think is very reasonable yeah that i mean uh, i would think that if you have an interest in the format that's exactly what you want right that sounds super sweet right like you get to play the format you enjoy <clears throat> you get to get better at the format and then you also get to pick up the cards that you want for the format mm -hmm. for basically nothing, you know. So it's just like a sick deal. Yep. Uh, I think that's where Legacy is headed. Um, yeah. Like, we're still going to have, like, one to two North American Grand Prix a year, which is the best we can hope for. There's going to be, like, one to, I mean, if Star City decides to do a second one, one to two Legacy SCG Ps. SCGPs, I guess, is what you can call them. <laughs> sure. Like the Opens? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're basically GPs. They're, yeah. Oh, totally. Um, we can expect like one to two of those a year. And the rest is just going to be like smaller community-run programs. Yeah, for sure. So like I had, I had a few thoughts on this as well. Like, um, So some of the problems – I and I want to preface this by saying 
SCG is doing, and I know you already talked about this, but I, I kind of want to echo it. SCG is doing what is best for their business, and you shouldn't fault them for doing that. For saying, for being upset that you feel like they're abandoning the format, they wouldn't do that if it was making them, if it was making them money. And so what we do as consumers is that we have to vote with our dollars, right? Like we have to show them that we care with our money. And that means attending their events and entering their tournaments and showing them that there's still an interest in the format. And I think that there is an interest in the format because there's been such an uproar on like Twitter and Facebook and stuff. People are upset that these are going away. So that means like, you know, get out there when SCG comes out your way and like, Play in their events, play in their whatever, their like fill their eight mans or whatever to show them that there are people who want to play in the format. So, but so a few of the problems I had with the um with the announcement was like one of the bummers is that like top eight top eighting an SCG certainly an open even a classic I think is considered probably one of the bigger accomplishments in the legacy format at this point. Like SCG is sort of like one of the premier I think events for legacy with the outside of probably Eternal Weekend, Eternal Extravaganza. Um, and like the one GP that we get a year. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a bummer to have less opportunities to top eight in SCG open or, or classic. Um, and you know, certainly something that, um, Nick Miller from SCG and Cedric Phillips had both kind of mentioned was that like, look, we're not getting the views. We're not getting the attendance from the events that we need. And so that shows that the, the legacy community needs to be more engaged in these, in these events. Like travel out to them when you can and watch and watch them on Twitch when you can. Even if you're just leaving your computer on, you walk away from it. Like, let them get the views on the, on the Twitch stream so they so show that they can see that people are interested in the format, you know? Um, the other, oh, like... Great. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I was just agreeing with you. It's kind of a shame that the legacy community was very much like, oh, you guys aren't paying out cash anymore? Well, I'm not going to play anymore. And it's what? like, well, play for the enjoyment of the format, not... You know, because there's like a cash payout. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think too, like the format may from from here out might get younger as far as like participants, because I feel like if there's so if there's less big events like SCGs where people are expecting to grind out cash value, the chances that people will be holding on their collection kind of slim down there, and maybe cards come back into the market, and because demand is diminished, you'll see lower prices, which is which allows what I would assume is like a younger um, kind of uh, a younger segment of the population of the, like the magic playing population to get into the format. And those people are more likely to play for the enjoyment of the game versus like the dollar value. Because if you're not 35 years old, you might not be trying to grind out as much money out of the tournaments as you can. I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure if that makes sense to you, but like, I kind of feel like, you know, like your people at like your local FNM are perfectly happy paying 10 bucks winning prize packs at the end of the night. They don't really care about, getting you know a cash payout from their store um no yeah like i know guys who just play locally and they're just like i just want to play legacy yeah so you know like we went from having uh them talk like a lgs owner to having like three rounds of legacy on a sunday to going hey uh maybe we can do like a legacy fnm and then there was like a push to do a pre-legacy FNM FNM. So we ended up with like seven rounds of legacy on oh, Friday. Oh, sick. That is great. So, you know, I definitely understand that sentiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think it's very sad to see uh, <clears throat> SCG kind of pull out of the format. Mm-hmm. It's not surprising at all. Um, I think the legacy community has been very, ha- just hasn't been supportive of Star City. Mm-hmm. Just like, very understanding that they are a company and that they do need to make a profit. Of course. Um, 
But I do think like a lot of the changes show that Star City may not be in as good of a place as we like to think they are, if that makes sense. Oh, I um, totally, I totally agree with that. Like the fact that both the, their last two announcements, the the last two, I don't know if they if they're quarterly announcements or if they're like bi yearly, but they have both had the theme of them cutting back on a lot of their expenses. So they are obviously, I shouldn't say obviously because like we're inferring a lot of information here, right? Like we're we're kind of interpreting this announcement to determine like the outlook of their business model. And it doesn't look like it's going great, right? Like it seems like they're doing a ton of traveling. It would seem to me like to, to have a setup for an open has a ton of setup costs, just like getting people out there uh, as far as like their, their staff and stuff, getting these large venues because like, you know, as a, as, as the venue size you have to get grows bigger, the cost associated with renting that venue increase exponentially. You know what I mean? Like oh. renting like the renting the Portuguese, you know, I have like a Polish uh, American club down the street from me. It was like 150 bucks for like a pretty decent sized dance hall. But like if I wanted to rent like rent out the uh uh the DCU center, those costs don't just go by square footage. Like they don't increase by square footage. They increase exponentially by square footage. It's not like you can just multiply it and that's your cost. So, um right. And with these opens being, you know, 900 player caps or 1000 player caps, like that is a pretty sizable event. Plus all your side events, plus space for vendors. Like these are big things that they're putting on every year. So I think that they are having let. It seems like there are fewer events they're hosting. They are trying to keep them as profitable as possible, and that that also means that like when SCG comes to your area, they're still going to have like legacy side events there. It's not like those are going to be completely dead. It's just not going to be one giant one giant uh, legacy tournament. So um, right, they, they flew. It feels – in a lot of ways, it feels like they flew very close to the sun. Yeah. And, you know, now the wings are coming off. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you said, the costs are very kind of insane in mm-hmm. terms of actually keeping the circuit going. And, uh, you know, it's not only just like paying for the convention center. It's paying for advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their own like, little ads that they do. They have to buy the licenses for their playmats that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have to – pay the convention center to get secure Wi-Fi to actually stream their um, tournaments, which is like, you know, we see it as a free service, but to them, it's like, that's just money that they're throwing at us. Yeah, totally. That, Um, that 100% costs money to have, you know, to be able to have access to that Wi-Fi. Like, it's not like you can go in the DCU and like, you get like high speed internet for free. Like, no, they can shut it off if they want to. And you have to pay them to get access to that. So, and I, I've actually talked to local TOs and I've heard a few interviews on other podcasts where um, I'm trying to think of the last one. I think it might have been on one of the ones that Clues does. Um, card, it was previously Card Advantage. I can't remember what it's called now. Right? Random Discard. I don't know. Something like that. But they um, they talked to someone who's a TO. And you'd be surprised at the costs that are incurred by these tournament organizers to run these big events. And, like, you know, the the common thing is, like, oh, like, maybe you just don't give out playmats because playmats cost a lot of money. and But playmats really cost them nothing. And if anything, they're, like, advertisement to get a bunch of casuals to come to that come to that place to, to join the main event. Like, the, I would I would put money on it. Like, a playmat sells for, what, like 20 bucks generally? Like a generic playmat, right, Lawrence? Uh, I mean, if you like the SCG like branded playmats, yeah. like the twenty uh, twenty five, like sure. if you can get somebody to buy them, like yeah. they get like if you can find somebody. It's and like, but if you want to like buy one on eBay, like like general cost, that was like you know like 
20 bucks or whatever, 25 bucks, but I would, sure. I would put money on, I would almost, I can almost guarantee because being from an industry where I saw like just regular neoprene mats get made for like, say for mouse pads, which let's be honest, they're the exact same thing, just a different size are right. literally, literally pennies on the dollar cost to the retailer. You know what I mean? So like, if you think that those play mats are costing SCG 10 bucks a, a piece to make, you're wrong. If you think they cost them $8 a piece to make, you're wrong. They're probably, I would estimate in like the dollar fifty to three dollar range each to for them to for them to produce. And like to think oh. that that is like an, a real cost on them is a far cry from like the cost of them renting out the DCU center or whatever the case, whatever your local well, convention center is. I I agree, but also disagree. Um, they have to like Ultra Pro owns the branding for all of the um <clears throat> like magic play maps. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have my Jace map from eternal weekend in front of me and it's like branded with magic the gathering and has like the vintage championships and then it has card titans logo and then it also has ultra pros mm-hmm. so like scg also has to buy the rights to like even print this map from ultra pro sure so i imagine that that does cost them more like the actual production of the map yeah it's pennies on the dollar to yeah. actually produce like one of these things but to buy the rights to even print like an arbitrary magic cards art on the map without getting, like, you know, sued the yeah. hell out of it, it's probably a couple hundred bucks, if not more. But what, uh, what I would also add to that, too, though, uh, Lawrence, is that, like, if, you, if you've if you noticed, like, SCG doesn't do a ton of licensed playmat artwork anymore. They're mostly just, like, random SCG. Like, they'll get an artist to, like, create a piece of artwork for the mat for a couple hundred bucks, and that's, like, their artwork for the, for the quarter or whatever. Like, they, they, I don't see them do a ton of licensed artwork anymore. Like, IQs I've gone to have always been, like, random artist drawings on the mats. Like, even, the, I think, I want to say the last few opens I've been to um, are, like, just random. It's not like I get the, like, like the GP where we got the Geist play mat or whatever, you know? It's, like, well, these are unlicensed or, you know, licensed by the individual artist play mats, right? Uh, I beg to differ. Okay. Um, so, like, for the IQs, you're right. Clis- Kristen Pleskow, I believe. I may be pronouncing her last name incorrectly. She's kind of the resident artist who does all the SCG stuff. She does the IQ tokens. She Or, not IQ tokens. She does the IQ playmatch. She does the um, invitational tokens. Mm-hmm. All of that jazz. But Star City has kind of kicked it up a notch. It's like, if you go to a Star City Open, you know, you'll get a... Uh, what is the... Playmat, the Liliana Dark something, or oh, whatever. The Last playmat. Hope or whatever. I don't know. What uh, darkest, not Dark Ascension, but Liliana surrounded by a bunch of zombies. It's an arbitrary magic card. But if you sign up for the Legacy Open, you'll get a Sensei's Divining Top playmat. And if you sign up for the Modern Open, you'll get a Seal Overseer playmat. Sure. Right. So like they've actually like kicked up the whole playmat thing in okay. terms of. But but we can agree. We can certainly agree though that like. The cost of creating a playmat is like a not is not an issue, right? Like that's not the reason why we're losing a bunch of legacy opens. Oh yeah, like <laughs> it's not the cost of the playmat. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the licensing of the playmats is probably like a minor factor in terms of mm-hmm. the open. Yeah. In terms of the classics, uh, what it is is just like the overwhelmingly negative response that legacy players gave right. to Star City when they said that they were switching from like the one K or two Ks or whatever they were mm-hmm. to classics. Um, because they were just too costly. Like it became, it got to a point where like SCG couldn't really afford to keep offering this format when the 
you know, the numbers were dwindling. And part of mm-hmm. that was like, you know, part of that was their fault. They bought out all the dual lands. Yeah, it's kind uh, of one of those weird things, too, right? Like, I mean, that's sort of an unspoken. So for me, like, I wasn't here when Legacy originally spiked, um, when SCG picked it up as a format. And they certainly seemed to make a conscious effort before they became like an open format to buy these legacy cards, right? So, and that's part of their business model. And that's, that's, you know, their, that, that, that's, that's business, right? Like, I can't fault them for that. But there does seem to be like that, that myth of, I don't, well, I, I don't want to call it a myth. Let's just call it a legend that I've heard. <laughs> like, that SCG bought all these cards, made their money, and is now jettisoning the format, jettis- jettisoning the format because it's not making them money anymore. And I wonder how much of it is the fault of SCG of like them basically controlling the prices of some of these cards. Um, I don't know. Did you want to speak to that at all? I don't know how true that is, but that is certainly some of the tinfoil hat theory I've heard uh, around the block. Um, my understanding is that they did very much buy out a lot of the dual lands and all that jazz. Um, from there, it kind of gets weird. Like you, you see the prices spike as like SCG kind of sub- controls most of the supply. So like you have the weird supply demand ratio. Um, and from there, like, of course, the price of the dual lands are going to spike as the demand for them increases as SCG switches to a format where, um, you know, there was the weekly split format, like one day one was standard, day two was legacy kind of deal mm-hmm. until people heavily pushed for modern. Um, no, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> but, but I understand what you're saying. Like, it's. I think they certainly get into the murky waters of, like, the chicken or the egg. Like, what came first? Like, was it, like, a decline interest in the format, or was it you guys jacking up prices with the cards? Like, you know, what what is causing, like, this decline in legacy? Because um, I don't uh, think it's I don't think it's the actual play of the format, but... I think there's just, like, a negative stigma attached to legacy of, mm-hmm. oh, it's too important. Or not too important, too expensive. Yeah. Or uh, legacy players or elitists who don't actually want you plebs playing their format. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, no, like, I wish there was a joke. Like, uh, there's a local legacy group, and, you know, one of the guys was, there's some guy, random guy posted, hey, is there any legacy going on? Mm-hmm. And somebody posted, like, hey, we have uh, this tournament going on, and it's full proxy. And I was like, I'm not going to show up to full proxy. And it was like, why? Uh, it was like, because if people don't buy the cards, they don't care about the format. It's like, well, that doesn't mean anything. Like, no, you're you're 100 like, right. <laughs> like, you know, I've top eight at a classic. I've top 16 uh, another classic. I've top 16 Eternal Weekend. I don't actually own all of my dual lands. I just mm-hmm. borrow, them, right? Yeah. Like, doesn't mean so that you don't the, care. You put a lot of you obviously as a person, Lawrence, put a lot of time and effort into the format. It doesn't mean that you don't care. It's just right. not it's, fin- financial investment doesn't mean you care about the format. I'm sure there are a lot of collectors out there who own more beta power and duels than I'll ever see in my lifetime, and they they're not investing in the format because they don't even play. They're just collectors, you know. So that I think I think you're right. Those things do not th- those are not logical conclusions. I think they're not related whatsoever. Right, and like there's enough kids who think oh legacy is just a term a format where you're gonna just like die on turn one to someone storm comboing you off or mm-hmm. whatever. And it only takes, like, one negative experience for confirmation bias to set in, right? Yeah, totally. Like, you don't actually, you know, you could watch a game where it's, like, Maverick versus, I don't know, Punishing Jund, and it's like, that's a very fair game of Magic. Mm -hmm. But, 
you know, some kid only has to walk into his LGS and go, hey, guys, I want to play Legacy, and some guy to go, fuck off, kid, you don't own Duel Lands. Right, right, totally. Like, look at my beta duels. And it's like, well, that kid doesn't want to play Legacy, so why would he play it? Like, there's modern, there's standard, there's limited, there's, like, cube, there's, like, infinite other things they could be doing. Why Mm -hmm. would they delve into this other format where they're going to have to deal with douchebags? Right. And And that's that's one of the things, too, and, like, kind of to build off of what you're saying, like, one of the problems that I have is also the stigma of, like, the types of decks people enjoy playing. I really don't like when people get too down on people who like to play Delver decks or like to play, what, aggressive decks or even people who like to play Dredge or something like um, like Enchantress. Like, if you have, like, your niche deck or you have your like, aggro deck or you have the deck that you enjoy playing, like, you shouldn't be ragged on for enjoying it. Like, not everyone has to play, like, a like some, some Pox-style, you know, deck. Like, there are... There's room in the format for all kinds of players, and that's people who play like their their uh their fucking Splinter Twin deck that they can't play in modern anymore, and people who play like all like I said all beta duels and have it all pimped out like Jerry does. Like there's room in the format for everyone. I think I think being elitist and being exclusive like only hurts the format and makes people look like assholes. Right, right. Like there's a lot of room to do whatever you want in Legacy, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people who don't understand that like. Different people enjoy magic for different reasons, and different people want to play magic for different reasons. And if you don't understand, like, you know, for example, I wouldn't want to sit through a tournament and play, like, I don't know, Lantern Control in Modern for nine rounds, right? But there's some guy who does, and that's his thing. And even if I don't understand why someone would want to sit down and do that, (laughs) that doesn't make it, like, inherently wrong. Right. That's just, like, this is what you find fun. You go have fun. That's what matters. Yeah, for you know? sure. And it, it, like what? Like one of my buddies uh, registered Storm for Eternal Weekend. I was like, oh man, I don't think I could play Storm for ten rounds and like not hate my existence. But I played Miracles for ten rounds, and people were, you know, there are people who would think, oh, playing Miracles for ten rounds would be like the worst thing ever. So it's just one of those deals. Yeah. Um. So one thing I want to kind of touch on before we head out of here because we're run, starting to run a little long. Um, so in the time since, and I'm sure this will get around because this is going to be posted a week from yesterday, you know, so this will be around, but one of the cool things, and I'm going to shoot this over to you too, so you can check it out. I'm not sure if you've seen this or not. So Tales of Adventure, the the guys who are running, the guys, men and women who are running like Eternal Extravaganza and Eternal Weekend, if I'm not mistaken, um, are... So they're just kind of put out a post about two hours ago saying, you know, we launched Eternal Extravaganza Satellite Series, which were like 11 events um, that were, I think they were like like roughly 1Ks um, that were giving out buys to their legacy event um, in 2017. So now what they're doing is they're actually expanding that um, expanding that uh, uh, series. And it looks, and we're not going to go through everything, but it looks like they're doing essentially like a point system where you can... Uh, like stores can host these. There'll be like different levels of events, like a gold, silver, bronze event. They'll, you know, c- certain places will earn a certain amount of eternal extravaganza points. And I'm assuming the points will, uh, basically like they can b- buy you into either like a, um, a buy for the round for the main events, um, uh, like a two round buy for a main events. Some will, some will be able to allow you to buy free entry into one of the like side events or main events. Um, and like, if you get up to level six, it looks like you get a $500 appearance fee for any one eternal extravaganza event, two round buys and free entry into all main events that weekend. So like, it looks like if you play a lot of these eternal extravaganza, um, satellite series events, you can like make some, 
serious headway into getting buys and even like maybe getting paid to showing up to eternal uh eternal extravaganza so um it's actually really cool to see um tales of adventure like seeing this kind of hole left in the format and saying hey you know what we're gonna step up we're gonna uh, put out a product here that legacy players are gonna love yeah like it was only a matter of time before someone stepped into the void mm-hmm. that um scg was leaving and you know, if somebody's willing to do like some sort of sick payout for Eternal Magic, you know, people are gonna buy in. Yeah, uh, for sure. And you know, if there's like an IQ series that leads into a strictly legacy thing, like there's a lot of guys who only want to play vintage or only play want to play legacy. It's like, you know, in a weird way, it's like legacy and vintage are turning into like kitchen table magic formats, mm-hmm. and people want to go to tournaments less because of like, oh, I want to like do well and have people jerk off my ego and it's more <laughs> i just want to like hang out with these cool guys yes like yes um, exactly like it's you don't like, get the same experience at kitchen table you don't get to be around like a thousand people who love the format just as much as you do you know what i mean yeah like uh what is it i was around rich shay and joe brennan for all of eternal weekend and both of them on different occasions said the same thing they play legacy not because of like the prestige of the format, but they play it for the community. It's like mm-hmm. you get to hang out with all these nice guys and you get to hang out with uh, these cool people. And it's just like more of just like enjoying enjoyment of like the community yes. factor yeah. and less of like a, like a dick measuring contest. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think that's, I think you're a hundred percent right there. Um, certainly one of the big takeaways I had from when we went out to GP Columbus, which was my first, real GP that I attended, like first magic event I actually traveled any significant distance for. Um, definitely what I got most out of it was, man, how awesome this community is, like how many people we got to meet, uh, people who listen to the podcast and otherwise, people who didn't know who we were and just how much fun it was to go out there and just see a bunch of people who we've only known online. Um, I can't, I can't speak enough good things about going to events like that. So um, certainly like, you know, as a local legacy player, like support your local stores, get out to these these uh, eternal extravaganza like satellite events. It seems like there could be some serious, like not only value to be had, which is all, which is great and all, but like also you're just feeding more money into Tales of Adventure, which has basically become like the main hub for legacy playing now. It seems like they're the ones hosting like the most the like the largest and most prestigious events, and you know. By attending the satellite events, you're just feeding more into that system and encouraging them to to continue and grow the grow the support they already have for the format. So um, that would be my uh, my suggestion is like you know if you're gonna spend your money, spend it as uh, something someone who's supporting the format you love. Yeah, I agree. Nice. Um, all right. So before we get out of here, Lawrence, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, uh, they want to talk to you on Twitter. Uh, where can they find you, man? Uh, I'm in the Leaving a Legacy uh, page on Facebook. Um, I'm also on Twitter under Lawrence Harmon, I think. I don't actually know my own Twitter, (laughs) which is kind of (laughs) hilarious. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just my name. Uh, I'm also just on Facebook. So if you shoot me a message, uh, it may or may not go to my spam box. We'll see. Uh, But but you're always on on the group, so that's always a good place to ping you, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the easiest way to get in contact with me. Nice. Um, so you can find Jerry at JME3RD on Twitter. You can find him on Facebook and the group as well. Um, you can also uh, find Matt, uh, find Adrian at Math and the Trickster. Um, you can find me at Pat Uglo. 
Um, I'm also on the Facebook page. Uh, find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Pat Uh, you can find, uh, the group, uh, leaving, uh, leaving legacy. Just search for it on Facebook. Uh, we're on iTunes, leaving legacy, blah, 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 blah. Um, any, uh, scoops into top eight Lawrence before we head out of here, man? Uh, let's see. Um, well, Rich Shea, definitely. He loaned me power, uh, for the vintage portion and randomly gave me in a French shout outs, uh, nice. while on stream for the legacy portion. They did an interview with him about miracles. Um, my buddy, but oh. Sam Kastrushi, he loaned me a time walk and an ancestral recall for the vintage portion. So that was pretty sweet. Um, yeah, other than that, just like my buddy Ken, who I go to every tournament with, just like the guys I hung out with at Eternal Weekend, it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'll scoop you and Lawrence. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you getting in here in a pinch when we, when we didn't have any other co-hosts and you were more than happy to come on and, uh, and, and hang out with me for, for a little bit. Um, also want to scoop in Tales of Adventure for, uh, for opening up their, their hearts and their wallets and supporting the legacy format a little more. And, um, I'm going to, I'm not going to dream crush anyone this week, but I'm going to scoop in, uh, the community legacy league and all the awesome people who play in it. And Danny for, for running it and coordinating it every week. Um, it's super fun. If you have a deck built online, uh, playing it, it's worth it. Um, even if it's a, a standard deck, like it's legacy format, man. It's still fun to play. So, um, definitely check that out. 830 Eastern on, uh, on Magic Online. So, you know, now we got to roll the die, right? Yeah. I got, sure. I got, a, I got a D20 here. We're going to see what we roll. We rolled a one, which is, uh, so Brad, uh, requested Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. So sure. So that's a little <laughs> that was bound to come up at some point. So um, we will uh, play some sweet queen to get us out of here. All right, Lawrence. Hey, man. Thanks for hanging out. We appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, man. All right, everyone. Have a uh, have a great Monday, and uh, I'll play out with something sweet.
bush, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo, Galileo, Galileo Figaro. Mia, mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. For me. 